Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Awesome. Welcome again to Redemption Church. And this first week of Advent, we're taking a break from Colossians and we're jumping into four weeks looking at the coming of Christ, this expectation that we have. I love this time of year when we come together as a church and, and we really remember and, and, and focus on this hope that we have. And that's why in Advent we start with, with hope. This word that we use often, this word that we hear day in and day out, um, it's, it's a word that comes up over and over and time and time again. I hope you feel better. I, I hope you have a healthy child. I hope I get an A in this class. I hope my car doesn't break down. I hope she likes me. I hope he likes me. I, I hope to make a difference in the world. I hope that um, I, I get this job. I hope that their marriage makes it. I, I hope that I get the raise that I've been expecting. I hope that we have peace in the world more than we have now. Every day in all walks of life, this, this word hope is being used, really this, this magical word. And it's tough really to live um, e- even a day without hoping. It's something that we hold on to. It's something that's special. And whether you're a Christian or not, I think that we would, we would all agree this morning that hope is a powerful thing and necessary, especially in a world that's clearly broken as ours is. You don't have to look too far to see that things are not exactly the way that they should be. They're far from it. There's pain, there's hurt, there's death, there's injustice. We see these things all around us and and that's what makes hope so important, so powerful. It allows us to really just not give up, to not throw in the towel, to not walk away, but to keep looking forward to something better ahead. We all need hope. Every single one of us, every single human, think about just your relationships that you have. You need hope in those relationships. You need hope in marriage. You need hope at your job, wherever you work, whatever you do in your day-to-day life. We need hope. We need hope in the unknown. The things that haven't happened yet, the things that we wish would, the things that we have have happened, but they still seem undone and we're not sure how everything is gonna come together. We need this hope. And so as we jump into Advent here, it's really important that as we look with expectation toward the coming of Christ, as we look back and we remember what it was for Jesus to leave heaven and to come down and to take on human flesh and to be born just as we were born a baby, such a vulnerable baby, and the hope that he offered as he came and throughout his entire life and ultimately what he did on our behalf. And so as we look at this, what we're going to see today as we look in the Bible is that the Bible and God shows us a different kind of hope, one that has really the power to change everything in our life, to change everything in our world, to change everything in your neighbor's life, in your co-worker's life. You know, I think even more so than needing more hope in the world, although we could definitely use it, what's more important than that is that hope would be directed in the right place. Every day as you interact with people, people are hoping in different things, but the real question is, are you hoping in the right thing? Are you hoping in something that's not actually going to fail and let you down, that's going to leave you broken, that's going to leave you in a ditch, 
that's going to leave you running and wandering and searching for something else. And what we see in the Bible and what we see in God's Word is that, is that we have this amazing hope that's a lasting hope, that's a good hope that we can stand firm on and place our feet in. And so if you're not a Christian today, this is really good news, and we want to share this with you. We, we want to invite you to consider who Jesus is, who we as a church have placed our hope in, even though at times we forget, and even though at times we wander and we stray and we end up putting things in the wrong place and believing sometimes in, in the wrong things and, and trusting in the wrong things. We want to invite you to hear what Jesus offers, to hear what God offers, and so thank you for being with us today. And for the rest of us, church, my, my hope for us today is that we would reconsider what God has done for us, that we would rethink about how trustworthy he is, that we would think about our life as it sits right here and now and where we're placing our hope. So pray with me, and then we're going to open up Jeremiah chapter 33 today, back in the Old Testament. Jesus, thank you for your love, and God, thank you for offering us what you have. Thank you that you haven't simply left us on our own. Thank you that we can have hope, a real, lasting, true hope that can be found in you. So I pray as we look at this passage today that you would just really work on us in the areas of our life where you know that we need to be reminded, where we need to rethink, where we need to re-examine, God, where we just need to be really even just re-stirred in our hearts to what you've given us, what you offer us, what you have for us. God, I pray for anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'd feel welcome, that they'd feel safe, that, that they could bring in their doubts, they could bring in their questions, they could bring in their concerns, and that you'll meet them here. You're not scared of it. And so would we as a church not be scared of that? Would we welcome, would we welcome that? Trusting Holy Spirit that you're working and moving in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our city, and in the world. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Speak to us now through it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 33, it's going to be up here behind me. We're just going to look at three verses. It's in the Old Testament. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. And let me just start by giving you a bit of an overview here of what we're looking at, because it's important to know. We want to take it in context. We don't just want to jump in and be like, I don't know what Jeremiah is talking about. Who, who, who really knows? Here's what he's talking about. So around the year 627 BC, Jeremiah would have been about 15 or 16 years old. And God came to him and he said this. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now you fast forward 40 years, and that's where we find ourselves here. And, and, and what we see is that historically, the people of God, they were in grim historical circumstances. Things were not good. And Jeremiah, personally, this once esteemed prophet, he now sits in a cold, dark prison. He's misunderstood, he's been persecuted, hunted down, labeled as a menace. But in the midst of everything that's happening in his life and in the nation, the people of God, he will share some of the most powerful words of hope. In fact, chapter 30 through 33 are, are known as the book of hope. This message that all is not lost, that there are better days ahead if you're placing your hope in the right place. So let's look at verse 14 and, and, and we'll jump in. Here's how it starts. Jeremiah says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. 
So as I mentioned, Jeremiah is a prophet and the nation's in crisis. Things aren't going well. And now the year's 587 BC and the king of Babylon and his troops have surrounded the capital city of Jerusalem. They're setting up a deadly siege. They're leaving the people inside Jerusalem on the brink of starvation. It couldn't be a worse situation for the nation. It's one of those times where you could absolutely say everything looks hopeless. As Alex mentioned, you can look around our country today. You can look around our world today. You can flip through your phone. You can look at the news stories. You can see what's happening overseas. You can see the injustices. You can see the death. You can see the horrific acts of violence. Racism is still happening. It's not done. There are all sorts of things that are going on. People are still starving. People are still without clean water. You... You don't need me to tell you this. We can just look around and we can see these things all around us and you can say this seems pretty hopeless. It seems like things are about as bad as they could possibly get. How could it get any worse? And then you can look at your own life and maybe this past year has been difficult. Maybe it's been challenging. Maybe things haven't gone the way that you thought they would. Maybe your marriage has really been struggling this year and it's, it's kind of hit a point where you're like, are there, is there better ahead? I feel like we're arguing a lot. I feel like we're not on the same page. I feel like we're disconnected. Like this, this seems sort of hopeless. Is there really hope here? You can look at other relationships with family members or friends, and maybe those relationships have become strained, and, and you're wondering, is there going to be resolve in this? Are things going to come back together? What's going to happen here? This feels a little bit hopeless. Maybe this has been a tough year for you health-wise. Maybe, maybe you've had some things pop up, and you're like, I really don't feel sitting here this morning like I have a ton of hope in me. I feel like it's been report after report after report that things aren't good and I don't know if they're going to get better and, and I'm just not sure what's going, to, what's going to happen and maybe it's your job and maybe things have not been going well with your boss, maybe things have not been going well with coworkers. You maybe you're like, what am I even doing in this position? I don't know what's happening. I don't know where things are headed. I don't know why God has me here. I don't, I don't know what's going on here, but, but hope is not something that I would say every morning I get up and I feel like I have. Think about it. I'm sure that we can connect ourselves with some situations in our life that have been there, that maybe are there, where we would not necessarily insert the word hope, but we would be far more inclined to maybe think of the word hopeless. That's where Jeremiah pins this letter of hope. And he says in that first part of the verse, behold, the days are coming. This is so important word. The idea here is Jeremiah saying, in the midst of everything that's happening, this nation, we're going to be, we're going to be taken over. They're going to come in. They're going to take us captive. People are starving. The days are coming. What does Jeremiah mean by that? He means better days are coming. Better days are ahead. It's not always going to be this way. And so if you want a definition of hope, here's here's one that I think is is fairly decent. A belief that better days are ahead that changes us in the present. A belief that better days are ahead that changes us in the present. That's what Jeremiah is saying here, and it's not just from his mouth. It says, declares the Lord. This is something that God told Jeremiah that Jeremiah is simply delivering. He's writing to the people, behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord. What days are coming? It says, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
Okay, we see this word promise, which is really important. Okay, so what is that promise? What's, what's Jeremiah talking about here? Well, we can go all the way back to Genesis, really, to start with that promise. Genesis 3, 14 through 15, we see that man sinned, Adam and Eve. They ate of the fruit. They sinned before God. Sin entered the world. Brokenness enters the world. It affects everything, and it's still affecting everything. But we see that immediately in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this rebellion against God, that God has a plan. That all is not lost, that he has a plan. And he makes a promise. In verses 13, or 14 and 15 of Genesis 3, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The idea here, it's called um, Proto-Evangelum, the first gospel, the first sign that a Messiah is coming, this promise that God makes that through the seed, the descendant of a woman, Eve, would come one who would crush the head of Satan, this promise that says, this isn't it. I'm not just going to do away with you because you sinned, you broke my commandment, but that's not it. I'm going to work toward your good. There are better days ahead. I'm moving and I'm working and I have a plan. And then you jump forward from Genesis and what you see and what, what Jeremiah is referring to. Here we see in Isaiah 1 through 9, or 11, 1 through 9, you heard part of it just a few minutes ago. Here's what it says, is that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide what is equity for the meek on earth and shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall, kick the, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt on his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow, man, there's a lot in there. Talks about kids playing over the holes of cobras, right? The point is that there was a Messiah coming, that there was better coming, that all was not lost. Essentially, what you see in this beautiful picture is there will be peace. Everything will be made right. That God had a plan and a promise. A plan and the promise that was coming from a man, through a man, that was much more than a man, but was fully God. This promise that we don't just have to hang our heads and give up. That we don't need to throw in the towel. In fact, we shouldn't. That we don't need to walk away because the God who created everything is not walking away from us. He's not walking away from our mess. Hear that today. God is not walking out on your mess, whatever that is. Whether you brought it on yourself or it's something that the world offered because it's broken, God is in the midst of it with you. His hands are dirty in your everyday life with you, and he is not walking away. He hasn't, and he won't. 
And this is his promise that we've seen time after time. There's this false idea that Christianity is unintelligent because it's solely based on feelings and myths, whereas science is based on rationale and reason. But our hope that we place in God, it's never just pulled out of thin air. It's based on a history that we have with God. And in this history, what we see are glimpses of God's character. And they show us why we should actually place our hope in Him and not other things. It's never based on our wishful thinking. It's never based on just positive feelings. But what it comes down to is really this question. Can I trust the one who's making the promise? Before you place your hope in anything, you should ask that question. Can I really trust the one that is making the promise? Do they have the type of control and authority where they can make this promise absolute without fail? People have been asking this question long before us. You can look at the entirety of the Old Testament and you can clearly see this. And when the answer is yes, when you say yes, I believe that I can trust the one who's making this promise. I believe that I can trust God with my life. When the answer is yes, the response is always faith. These two things that go hand in hand, hope and faith. We've seen this throughout the Bible. If you want a reminder, it was by faith that Noah that Noah obeyed God and built an ark, that he saved his family. It was by faith that Abraham and Sarah received the son that God promised them, even though they were far too old to bear children. It's by faith that Joseph, he overcame betrayal, slavery, false accusations, and imprisonment to save the nation of Israel. It's by faith that God's people left Egypt and walked through the Red Sea and it parted on each side for them. It's by faith that the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls came down. These weren't perfect people. They all had their struggles. They had doubts. They made mistakes. They had flaws and they had weaknesses. But they all had one thing in common. They put their hope in God and persevered in faith, waiting for God to show that he's trustworthy, which he did again and again and again. God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises. And they extend all the way back to Genesis, all the way into your life today. And no, that doesn't mean his plan is going to look exactly as you thought it would or as you hoped that it would. It doesn't mean that the timing is going to be exactly what you thought it would be. But we have been promised that God is working together for our good and he's not going to stop. And there's nothing that can derail his plans. He has good for you. Whether it comes to pass this life the way that you thought it would down the line, or whether it looks completely different or whether it's rectified in heaven when everything's made right his plan is good and it's not wavering and that's why we place our hope in him by faith by faith just as our ancestors have done just as those who have gone before us and we've seen that time and time and time again God has been faithful it's so important to remember those times. Last week, I love that we shared a little bit of stories of grace around Thanksgiving. These small things in our life, it's so easy when things derail in our life or when things don't go the right way that we can sort of get um, memory loss. I don't know if you experience this memory loss on everything that God's done up until this point. It's like it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. It's so critical during those times that we don't forget, that we do remember. How has he been faithful before? How has he been faithful before in my life? What's he done? How's he brought us to this point? And to not forget about those things. 
How do we know this? How do we know that he's working for our good? Because we've seen the promise that Jeremiah is talking about. We've seen it come to pass. Look at this in verse 15. He says, in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up to spring up from David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. So where is this hope coming from? Well, it's not going to be in David. David was a man after God's own heart, but David was flawed. He was sinful. He wasn't sinless. It's not going to be in this king that's ruling right now as Jeremiah is writing this because Jeremiah, he actually told this king, Zedekiah, uh, he said, hey, the king of Babylon, he surrounded the city and they're going to come in and we need to surrender. So you can either trust in God and you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way, but they're going to come in because we've been, um, we've been committing adultery on God and, and, and we're going to be taken over for a time and we're going to be, um, we're going to be, have to surrender. And the king doesn't like this. And so the rest of these spiritual leaders and prophets around the king, they were assuring the king that Jeremiah was a fraud. So um, he, he branded Jeremiah as this menace of national security and arrested him and threw him in jail. That's where Jeremiah writes this. And they kept telling the king exactly what he wanted to hear, that you're an amazing king and no one's going to take us over and our army's too powerful. And that God's always going to be on our side. And on the other hand, Jeremiah kept warning the king that these were false prophets who were merely offering cheap and false hope. He says this in Jeremiah 6, just for reference, they dressed the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. And we get offered the same thing. We get offered so much false hope. People will tell you to put your hope in your career, to put your hope in your relationship, to put your hope in your salary, to put your hope in your bank account, to put your hope in your position, to put your hope in your abilities, to put your hope in your health, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Every day you're being told to put your hope in something other than God, something that will give you the life that you want to have, but every single one of those things cannot bear the weight because every single one of those things are not God, and they will all fail you. And I don't say that to bum you out. I say that as a good warning for all of us. All of those things will fail you. If you put your complete, utter hope in your spouse, your spouse will fail you and you will have major issues there. And some of us do that. We put our hope in these relationships and when these relationships let us down, we're absolutely crushed. We're gonna sin against one another. Maybe today's that day where you're like, yeah, I need to talk to that person. I'm so sorry. I've been putting all my hope in you. It's been directed in the wrong place, and I know that you can't handle that. You're not God. Or you put your hope in your work. That happens, especially in a city like this, and so you spend so many hours and more time than you need to building up a mini kingdom when that kingdom's not going to stand. It's not going to hold. You're not going to take any of that money with you, and in fact, a lot of the times, all that time that you've spent that you didn't necessarily have to spend because you thought that was going to give you the life that you, that you wanted above and beyond what you needed, you look back and you say, man, what do I have to show for that? It's not going to give you what you really want. There's so many things that we can place our hope in, but these are, these are really false hopes. Just like these false prophets were telling the king to place his hope in, and, and it failed, it didn't work. 
So where is this real lasting hope for better days? What is Jeremiah talking about here? Well, well, we know this, but let's go ahead and state it. It's the righteous branch. It's the better Adam. It's the better David, the one who came, as we said, to seek and to save that which was lost. By the way, that's you and me, the one who Abraham was anticipating, the one who God's people in Exodus were looking forward to and was being foreshadowed, the one who would come, the one who generations upon generations upon generations were waiting for, this Messiah who they were expecting, not just in another man, not just a flawed man, but the son of man who's going to bring justice where there wasn't justice for every man, woman, and child that's ever been abused, that's ever been mistreated, that's ever been falsely accused, that's ever been slandered, that's ever been looked down on. Justice has come and it is coming that this son of man, that this perfect savior, that this Messiah is going to come and he is going to bring this justice and we're going to see some of it in this world and we're going to see some of it in the next, but he is doing this work for every wrong that's ever been done, for every tear that's been cried, for every loss that we've experienced, for every hurt and pain, that it's all being made right by this righteous shoot, this one, the son of man, Jesus, who's coming so that we don't place our hope in a spouse, in a job, in cash, in a career, in a government, or anything else, but that better days are coming through Jesus, the baby that was born of a virgin, that would grow up and take the sins of the world on his back, all of the injustice, all of the unrighteous, yours and mine included, that he would endure so much injustice and a lack of righteousness. He would take everything that the world could put upon him, everything from the past that's ever been done starting in Genesis, and everything even to the future as long as this world exists before Christ comes again, and he would take it on the cross, but in that he would overcome. He would overcome the injustice. He would overcome the lack of righteousness. He would overcome overcome sin and death because we have a king who has overcome. So as we talk about this, God's not asking us to place in our hope in a dead God. We're placing our hope in a God who overcame the worst that we had to offer, everything that the world could offer, sin and death, and he overcame and he is living. And not only is he living, he says it's finished. That's why he's seated at the right hand right now. That's the invitation for who we should place our hope in, a better hope, a living hope, a one that we can stand firm in, a one that won't disappoint. This is the hope of Jesus. This is the hope that we have at Advent. This is the hope that we want to share with our neighbors. This is the hope that needs to redeem our hearts and wake us up from our slumber, and at the same time, the hope that everyone at Green Lake needs right now. Not another hope that's going to disappoint, but a living hope that will never be put to shame. And while I say all of that, I will say this at the same time, it can be really hard to hope. You know what Jeremiah said at verse 13, he said, in those days and at that time, well, you might say, well, what days and what time? Doesn't say exactly. They aren't given an exact timetable. In fact, it'll be a long time before Jesus actually comes and steps foot on the earth. And that can be the hardest thing when we aren't given a timetable. That's why oftentimes it's easier not to hope. It is. Because hoping requires this vulnerability in a heart that's exposed and expectant. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption, um, the Christmas classic. I'm I'm kidding. Um, but, But Red... In the movie, one of the, one of the inmates, uh, Morgan Freeman, he says this line, which is powerful. He says, hope is a dangerous thing. 
says there's no room for hope in this prison. It'll cause men to go insane because it builds this expectation within us, this anticipation. Hope changes us in the present. It changes us right now if we have hope because it means looking forward to the future with expectation. An expectation can sound pretty risky. When I was a, a little kid, I didn't have a dog, and uh, one Christmas, um, I was promised that I would get a dog, which was fantastic, and I was excited about. But knowing that didn't take away the tension. In fact, it built the tension, excuse me, tension even more. Every day that would go by, there was more tension, this waiting, this expectation of this thing that was going to happen, of this thing that was, was going to come until it actually happened. Hope keeps us holding on. It keeps us looking forward. It keeps us remembering what God's done in the past. And this is so important. Think about it. In every relationship you have, this is important. This is what keeps us from just walking away. This is what keeps us from just hanging our heads low. But expectation can sound pretty risky because expectation put in the wrong place can be risky. Because sometimes even when we remember all that God's done in our life and he's done in others and he's done throughout history, through the whole Bible, sometimes our circumstance, it doesn't change. Sometimes it doesn't, not in this life. Sometimes we have to accept that it's beyond our understanding right now and and we have to keep trusting. And it's important in these times that we realize this, that acceptance isn't the same as denial. Acceptance isn't meant to minimize or diminish our pain or our questions or our doubts or our fears or what we're really experiencing or or just to push those feelings down deep and, and not be honest with them. That's not what acceptance is meant to do. I was thinking about this this week. There have been so many times in my life, especially over the past few years, where I've had no idea what God is doing or why he's doing it the way that he is or what his timing is, and it's been challenging and and difficult. And in many ways, I still don't, and I still ask, and I still share those things with him, and, and I have a lot of different feelings that surround those things. But what I've come to accept is that things are gonna happen in our lives, in my life, in your life, that that we don't like that we don't want or that, that we didn't anticipate. And it's when we find ourselves at these crossroads, which we all will, if you live long enough, you'll find yourself at this place that, that we have a choice to make. We can either put our hope in other things, f- forget about this relationship that we have with God because he hasn't given us what we want when we want it. We can, we can go to other things or we can just turn our back on hope and shut down our feelings because it's, it's a safer bet. Or we can do this. This is what I would encourage us with. It's not fancy, but I think it's a good thing to remember. We remember what God's done. We accept what God is doing. We don't deny it. We're not giving up, but we accept what he's doing. And we trust in what he's going to do. That's faith. It's not easy. It requires a lot. It's vulnerable. But if we believe that God is trustworthy... And he's been trustworthy and he has a good plan. That's where we need to go. This is what Jeremiah does. It's actually pretty amazing in the chapter right before this. While all of this is going down, here's what happens. The nation's about to be taken over and his uncle comes to him at jail. And it's really interesting. His uncle offers him a plot of land. I don't know if you picked up on it. This isn't exactly the best time to buy real estate. Um, The nation's about to be taken over, and people are about to be sent into exile. 
not exactly the time where you're looking for that sweet three-bedroom, two-bath, right? And so you're like, yeah, there's no, there's no way Jer- Jeremiah's not going to buy land, but he does. He does. Why, why, does, he, why does he do that? He knew what was going to happen, but, but here's, here's what happens. Um, Jeremiah lives by the promises of God. He knew that things didn't look good right now. To Jeremiah, this decision made sense. He buys the field. He hopes to come back and live in that field as God has promised. God has given a promise for better days for the people. He, not only in Christ who is coming, but in the immediate time. And he said, God told him that the captivity would end and the people would return. And so, so Jeremiah steps forward in faith. He believes that God is going to do something, that he's trustworthy. He buys the land. When you put your hope in Christ, it not only affects the way that you think, which is important, but it, it absolutely affects the way that you live. Hope centered on Jesus that allows us to persevere in the challenges of life, but it also keeps us from missing out on the joy that's in front of us. Look at this, look at this last line. I love how this ends. Jeremiah says, And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So as we walk through this season of Advent and we look toward the expectation of this promised Savior who's coming, the long-expected King, this time of waiting and longing and rejoicing and hoping, where this passage ends is really a great place for us to start even this, this morning as we sit here. We already said it, but there's a lot of places that you can place your hope and, and the world is. But are they trustworthy? Do they have the power to promise you better? Do they have the power to promise you better days, whether it's in this life or it's whether it's eternity to come, when everything is made right because of what Jesus has done on the cross? I love how Jeremiah ends this verse, the Lord is our righteousness. And so the question that we all need to think about today, is he? Is he? Practically. Is Jesus at the center of your hope, all of your hope, for today, for tomorrow, for eternity to come. What kind of hope, think about this, and what kind of hope are you offering others by the way that you live your life and who you're trusting it with? Because it's not just a hope for us, but it's a hope that we're living out so that when things do happen that that aren't great, we're not completely destroyed. The people around you see that. They notice that. That's often what spurs interesting conversations. I don't know if you ever had those like, hey, you just got laid off work. Like, you should be destroyed right now. Why aren't you? Well, because this isn't it for me. Like, this isn't the biggest thing in my life. Like, I, 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 I know that it's going to work out. Well, what do you mean you know that it's going to work out? Well, I've actually put my life in, in the hands of God, and I'm trusting Him, and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I just know He's, he's good, and He's been good, and, and He's going he's gonna to provide I know I don't have money in the bank. I'm not sure what exactly it's going to look like, but, but I trust that he's there and he's in it with me. And whew, Talk about a powerful hope. I hope that doesn't give way. Is he? Is Jesus our righteousness? Is he our hope? And not just because, but because he's given you a new life, because he's given you a reason to hope, a reason to worship him with expectation And so if not, what do you need to hand over today? What is it? What is it in your life that you need to hand over? What have you been hoping in that you're like, yeah, I need to stop doing that? What do you need to hand over? How do you need to step forward in faith? Even though it's hard, even though it requires vulnerability, 
even though it may seem riskier, what do you need to step forward in? Hope is a powerful thing when it's directed in the right place. As Tim Keller says, he says, a living hope enables us to have both sorrow and joy. Our living hope is an inheritance achieved for us by Christ. This is the hope that Jeremiah was proclaiming that he was ultimately pointing to, the hope of the long-expected Christ, the one who would make everything right, the one that we as a church place our hope in because we've seen that Jesus came and we trust that he is coming again, that he is coming to take his bride home, that no matter what comes today or tomorrow or the rest of your life, Jesus' promise for good is not wavering. One day, if you're in Christ, you will see Jesus face to face and that hope will turn into joy. The joy that is in front of us because we are in him. This is a living, lasting hope. This is the hope that we should have in Christ, not only now for the next several weeks up until Christmas, but the hope that we should be living with day in and day out and sharing with everyone that we possibly can around us because it's the hope that changes everything because through the cross, Jesus absolutely did. And that's the hope that we take with us today. All is not lost. In fact, in Christ, far from it, we've been found. And placing your hope in him is placing your hope in a promise in God who will never fail. What a good hope that is. Jesus, thank you for coming and thank you for the promise that you will come again Thank you, God, for not leaving us where we were, but having this plan of redemption, this plan that we place our hope in for eternity, and God, because we can place our hope in you for eternity, would we place our entire life in your hands, our relationships, our family, our circumstances, our health, our wealth? anything and everything, would we ultimately place our hope in you, knowing that you're good, you've made this promise, this promise not to leave us, not to forsake us, this promise of a good plan. God, it can be challenging sometimes, it can be hard, especially when we're right in the midst of it, especially when we find ourselves in situations that we didn't wish we were ever in. But God, in the midst of those, would you remind us through the power of the Holy Spirit your track record of what you've done in history past? Would you allow us to accept what you're doing, even if it doesn't look the way that we thought it would? And would you allow us to trust in what you are going to do? God, you've given us so much already. All we have to do is look to the cross and look to you, Jesus. If you were willing to provide for our eternity, can't we trust that you're willing to take care of us and you will take care of us in the present? Jesus, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you that we are not here right now as those who are hopeless and lost, but those who are once lost and who have been found. And Jesus, if it would be your plan today, would you bring other new members into the family that this hope might be spread? Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.